We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. So the idea is as we start to go, you will understand um, the, the, and begin to see Christ quickly. And I, was, I think it was Friday or Thursday, I was, I was sat down, I was just meditating. And a word dropped in my heart uh, that I want to remind you about from his story. And the word is redemption. Can somebody say redemption? Redemption is a very, very key element of the finished work of Christ. If there was no redemption in the plan, then there was no hope for us. All right? If there's no redemption in the plan, then it means that we are still responsible for everything we did wrong, everything we do wrong, and everything we'll ever do wrong. Do you understand? The fact that we have redemption is what is, is by the, is that, that's the means by which we are guaranteed that we have right standing before the Father. The reason why we have been positioned to receive the righteousness of God in Christ is because of the redemption element of our salvation. Do you understand? Now there are different elements of our salvation. There's sanctification, there is redemption, there is justification, there's righteousness, and there's forgiveness of sins. And these are all different branches of the finished work. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why Christ becomes for you sanctification and redemption and righteousness because there are different elements, different branches of the same tree. So it's important to understand what the different elements mean. And so I'd like us to look at redemption, what the redemption does for us. Awesome. So there's a, there's a story in scripture, again, that we have read a lot of. We've read a lot of that story. And it's the story of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. So it starts in chapter 1. It has four chapters, the book of Ruth. It starts in chapter 1 with the story of a Bethlehemite. From the tribe, from the clan of Ephrath, he was an Ephratite um, from the tribe of Bethlehem, and his name is Ahimelech. Ahimelech had a wife, of course, uh, a Jewish a Jewish guy from the tribe of Be- of, of, Beth- of Benjamin, um, uh, Bethlehem in Judea. He had a wife called Naomi and two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they leave because there's famine in the land, and they go for greener pastures end up in Moab and if you know the story of Moab I'll not bother you with that tonight Moab and, and Edom were two two guys Shah, that man in that time them and God Shah, you know so th- basically Moab and Edom were the definition of Gentiles yeah, or heathen if you may okay so they end up in the land of Moab and you know the guys take on um, Moabites wives um, one by the name of Ruth and another by the name of Orpah O-R-P-A-H not Orpah not Oprah yeah Oprah is one on TV right Orpah and the Bible says that 10 years after this marriage both Mal- Himelech had died and then 10 years later Malon and Kilon both died and so we, they had, we had three widows okay Naomi and of course Ruth and Oprah and then Oprah gets, I'm sorry, Naomi gets to hear that somehow there's plenty in Israel again. So she starts to want to retrace her steps back to her family route. And she tells them, you know what, 
there's nothing I'm going back with, you know. Um, there's nothing for you guys here, nothing for you guys where I'm going. So you might want to consider your options and then just, you know, do your thing. And of course, Oprah had been waiting for that. Because as soon as she heard that, she takes off. Ruth, on the other hand, says, I ain't leaving you. I'm going where you're going. My people, your people shall be my people. Where you go, I, I will go. And your God will be my God. And so she follows Ruth and they come back home and people are saying, is that, is that Naomi? Really? Ahimelech's wife showing up after so many years? And she says, oh, please don't call me Naomi, which means delight. Call me Mara, which means bitter or forsaken because, man, the Lord has taken everything from me. Let's look at that in Ruth chapter 1. Um, I'm trying to give you the backdrop of the story so I don't spend a lot of time reading it. Um, let us read from 20. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 20 just to give you a backdrop of this story um, but she that is Naomi said to them do not call me Naomi call me Mara for the almighty has dealt very bitterly with me look up to me this is not the reality of the God you serve it's important and that's why we that's what we dealt with a little bit last week the word the power and the believer i will deal more about the word standpoint when we're doing dstp but you must be careful to distinguish between the reality of god from god the reality of god in christ and the reality of men that they attributed to god the reality of god the reality of god in christ to as it were different realities does that make sense Right? Because back before grace, if you sinned, you paid. Because God is a just God. God has not stopped being a just God. God has not st- stopped. Or God, how do I put this? God is no uh, Holy Spirit. God is still unable to tolerate sin. It has not changed. But the reality of God in Christ is that Christ has become propitiation for sin. So God cannot impute sin to you because Christ has dealt with the sin. It doesn't mean God is now a softy. It just means his wrath is satisfied. He cannot punish sin because Christ has taken all of sin. So there's no sin to punish. Do you understand? It hasn't changed the nature, the fundamental nature of God. But God has no wrath to met out on the believer because Christ drank the cup of that wrath. So there's the reality of God. There's the reality of God in Christ. And then there's the reality of men that they sometimes, a lot of times, erroneously attribute to God. So you cannot read scripture and say God deals with people bitterly because Naomi said it. Naomi spoke of where she was at the time. Just like you, even you sitting down here, as you are right now with all your in Christ reality, when life hits you, deals you a bad hand, you still open your mouth and say, oh God, why? Why is this if you are God? Why is this happening to me? Now imagine if we're writing the Bible in today's day, in today's era, and we're documenting the stories of people who would have put that in the Bible. That does not make it doctrine. Are you with me tonight? It doesn't make it revelation. doesn't make it truth. It's just your myopic, mostly foolish reality. Or so, to, or so you think, oh, but that's not God. So when Job screamed and said, oh Lord, you give and you take away. God didn't take away. Satan took away. 
God was in the know. God permitted, but God didn't take away. <laughs> Do you understand? Don't call me Nomi. Call me Mara for the Almighty, she says, has dealt very bitterly with me. So God has dealt with her Mara richly. So, so call me Mara. You know? Verse 21. I went out full, she, she continues to moan, and the Lord has brought me home again. And somebody say, God forbid. Because God doesn't do that. The people you left in the famine, they came back their life. You, you went away to a strange land. Your, son, your sons married strange women. You all died, whatever killed you. And you come back and you say, God let, took your heart full and brought you back empty. No, he doesn't do that. Do we understand what I'm saying? Okay, that's just by the way. So, the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has... Oh man, that's such bitterness, isn't it? And has afflicted me. And then it goes on in, in, in us. Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. I'm sure you've read this story loads of times. You know, Naomi tells Ruth, man, okay, no, actually Ruth tells Naomi, I mean, harvest is going on. Let me go and um, let me go and look for a field that I can glean. Okay? And Naomi says, well, yeah, of course. Go with her. Um, Naomi says, yeah, of course. Go. You know, so she goes out, not knowing that Naomi already has a, a kinsman. Please mind that word, kinsman. Yeah, when they ask you in a form next of kin, it just means your nearest surviving relative. Okay? All right? So, uh, a, a kinsman whose name was Boaz. But when, Naomi, uh, when Ruth went out to glean, and to glean means to pack stuff behind the harvest, um, she had no idea that there was such a guy as Boaz on the, on the scene, in the picture. She ends up on his field. She gleans and instantly Boaz takes notice of her and he asks, who is that? And they go, is Naomi's uh, um, daughter-in-law came back with her for Moab. And, 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 and Boaz was like, oh yeah, y'all, you know, put a little bit of extra stuff for her to, 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 to glean, you know. So basically he was telling his staff to intentionally trip up, you know, intentionally leave some for the new chick to pick to pick some more barley, you know. Bear, by, again, mind the word barley. I will come to that. The significance of that shortly. And so, um, she starts to do that, and then she comes back and she tells Naomi that look who I met and look what he did and look what he gave me, you know. And then tells her she can come and glean around his field, and then tells his um, um, staff that mind this lady and whatever she comes, allow her glean behind you guys every time, and always make sure you leave a lot of surplus for her. So she goes and she tells Naomi that this what's up. You know, this guy has favored me and everything. And then Naomi starts to give her tips on how to trap a man. Okay. So here's what you're going to do. You know, when he's all worked and everything and at night he's, he's had his meal and he's drunk and you know, he's satisfied he, and he lies down. You just clean yourself up, fragrance yourself up, you know, and then you know, go and lie at his feet, uncover his feet and and, and, and lie there. And in the Hebrew, the helm of a dress, the talith, I talked about that when we, when we did um, Solomon's thing, the talith also signified the identity of a person. So it, it, it was only worn when a man came of age. 
And, it, and sometimes they could actually ratify um, transactions with an imprint of the helm of that garment because it was bespoke or unique to the person wearing it. In other words, no two helms or no two talits were the same. Does that make sense? So it signified to a large extent the identity of a person. Are you following me? So when the woman with the issue of blood reaches and touches the helm of his garment, who did she plug into? The identity of Christ. There was no oil in the garment. No virtue in the cloth. No anointing in the talith. I talked about that last week. So what she did was to identify or to recognize the identity, the deity of Christ. Make sense? It was the same thing that Naomi did when she went and uncovered the helm of Boaz's garment and plugged into him at his feet. He wakes up startled. Who are you? What are you doing here at this time? You're too decent to be here. And she says to him, she says, you know, spread your garment over me for you are my kinsman redeemer. That's what King James says. NKGV says, yeah, you are a near kinsman. Give us NLT. Same verse. Go back to the first part of it. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant Ruth. Go on. She replied, spread the corner of your covering. Can you see that? Over me for you are my family redeemer. And that statement basically meant marry me. Okay? I'd like you to understand that. So, essentially, technically, Ruth proposed to Boaz. Give us the message. I think we have that translation. And he said, and who are you? She said, I am Ruth, your maiden. Take me under your protecting wing. You're my close relative, you know. In the circle of covenant redeemers you do have the right so you see when you read scripture and you just see oh uncover me cover me you might take it literal but it's not necessarily always literal you must understand the cultural setting and the language being used at all times so basically what she was saying to him was you have a right to marry me stretch your wings take me under your wings because basically I'm yours don't slack And Boaz goes on and he says, eh, you know, I really would oh, I really would love to hook up with you and all. You know. Um, but um, there's somebody before me who is in line to be the one to inherit you. So we're going to have to go to that person first and hear what he has to say about you. And, and personally, I'm hoping that he passes up on the opportunity because when he doesn't take you, then I got you. Okay, yeah, so go back. Stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, let him do it. Stay in NLT. Stay here tonight and in the morning I will talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you, very well, let him. So what was redemption? In the context of redemption, there was marriage. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself so lie down here until morning next verse so ruth lay at boaz's feet until the morning but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other for boaz had said 
you must not know, they must not know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. So Boaz covers her wrong. Covers whatever shame would have accrued to her for being found out to have slept at a man's feet all night. Verse 15. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. And then Ruth tells her mom everything and then stuff kicks in in verse 4. You know, um, they, they call it a town's meeting at the gate, you know, and then, you know, they say, well, you know this matter, there's this matter of, 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 of um, Ruth who was um, Marlon's wife, would, would suppose, you know how he died with his father Himelech in Moab and, and they're back, you know, and there's the issue of her needing to be redeemed and and, and 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 I'll come to that in a bit I might as well talk about that now the redemption I'll come to that because there was, there was there was laws there's a law of land redemption being talked about here okay there's a law of marriage between people who are related to one another and then there's also the law of harvesting the law of harvesting all laws of Moses that we're working here will come to that shortly so he goes well somebody has to redeem her and what redemption meant was that every land that was Ahimelech's and Malon's or Kilion's would now accrue to Naomi, uh, and of course Ruth. Um, so you were getting or absorbing or redeeming back the land into your tribe because according to the law, and I'll come to that in a bit, you, you're not allowed to to marry and take the, the, the portion of land from one tribe and add to another tribe. Does that make sense? Remember the daughters of Zelophehad? Yeah? You were not allowed to the land. The way the land was apportioned is such a way that you married in, in, inside the tribe to keep the land of the tribe within the tribe. So if you are going to marry out, it would mean that you are marrying your land out of your tribe into another tribe. So there had to be somebody in your lineage to redeem that land so the land remains in the tribe. Does that make sense? Now, when it was just a female, it meant that whoever married this female will take all the land out of the tribe of the woman. And there's no more perpetuation going down the line. Does that make sense? So a relative now steps up to, as it were, buy the land and keep the land in the tribe. That's redemption. Does that make sense? And of course, this first next of kin went, oh yeah, of course, who doesn't want extra land? Here, I'll take the land. And Boaz plays a fast one. He says, you know, it's not just the land you are getting. You know. Along with the land comes Ruth. Along with the land comes Naomi. Go back. My, my, go back to verse 4. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth. The Moabite, the Gentile widow. Are you following you're telling a Jew who has never left Bethlehem that as you're getting land, you're getting a gentile widow, used goods. You get her, that way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name, can you see that land, and keep the land in the family. So most times when you read a scripture, that scripture alone might not fully explain itself. Scripture interprets 
scripture. So you must understand the cultural context of what is at play there. See verse 6. The guy goes, eh, what happened was, I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. It might mess up things. My wife's or at, at moments we feel like you are bringing a Gentile to join us. That could be one possible reason. It could also be that um, marrying an extra woman will mean that whatever he's willing to his sons will have to be further divided down and so everybody gets a lesser piece of the inheritance. It could also mean that the guy doesn't have the financial wherewithal to run, look after his family and handle Ruth and Naomi and everything that comes along with them. So he says, you redeem the land, Boaz. I cannot... And of course, Boaz was waiting for this. Take off your shoe. Prove it to me. It was a sign of authentication. He took off their shoes, you know, handed over to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. He married Ruth, gave her a son named Obed, who became the father of Jesse, who became the father of David who became the father of Jesus, the son of man. That's the end of the story. Now, let's look at the story. Redemption in Hebrew is the word ga'al. G-A-apostrophe-A-L. And as you have seen from the narrative, it means to buy something back. Okay? To pay the price for something, especially for something that was lost to play the part of a king's man it also means in a separate context to avenge or to require blood for something so when you're redeeming part of it means to avenge or to or to acquire blood for something in payment for something does that make sense that's the word for redemption in the hebrew the act of redemption therefore as you see is a legally binding transaction between three parties. The redeemer, the redeemed, and the person for whom the price was paid. Make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? The person redeeming, the person being redeemed, and the person to whom the price was paid. It's legally binding. It cannot be changed. Bear that in mind as well. There are four components of Hebrew redemption. Four cultures components when you're looking at the cultural context of redemption. The first one is the kingsman redeemer must be a blood relative as we see, right? Must be a family member. He cannot be an outsider. Second component must that he must be capable of redeeming what is at stake. Uncle first of kin backed out. Right? Person must be capable of redeeming. The third element is the person must be willing to redeem. Okay? Person must be willing to redeem. He must be a blood relative must be capable, buoyant, Nigerians say, enough to redeem. Thirdly, must be willing to redeem. And number four, the person must complete the transaction. You come back out. These are the four elements of Hebrew redemption. Now let's consider a few uh, points in this narrative and you begin to see things unfold already. There are three laws at work here. The first law was the law of harvesting. Look at Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, 22. The first law, when you harvest the crop of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Are you seeing that? Leave it for the poor 
and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 24, 19 to 22. Did you see that at all? It's self-explanatory, right? So you understand why they were leaving stuff for Ruth to pick. Deuteronomy 24, 19 to 22. And anyone who injures another person. No, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 24. Not Leviticus. Deuteronomy 24. Start from the beginning of the verse. When you are harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. 20. When you beat the olives from your olive tree, don't get, go over the balls twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Keep going. When you gather the grapes in your vineyard, don't glean the vines after they are picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Verse 22, the last verse in that text. Remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. This is why I am giving you this command. So you see the law there of harvesting. So Boaz is fulfilling every requirement of the law. Are we together? You see a second law at work there, and that's the law of land redemption. Leviticus 25 verse 23 to 32. You getting it? The land shall not be sold permanently, King James, for the land is mine and you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant redemption of the land. Did you see that? 25. Leviticus 25, now 24. You got it? I keep reading. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant redemption of the land. 25. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. 28. But if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee shall be released and he shall return to his possession. If a man sells a house in a walled city, then he may redeem it within a whole year after it is sold. Within a full year, he may redeem it. Leviticus 25, 30 now. But if it is not redeemed within the space of a full year, then the house in the walled city shall belong permanently to him who bought it throughout his generations. It shall not be released in Jubilee. How, 20, 31. However, the houses of villages which have no wall around them shall be counted as the fields of the country. They may be redeemed and they shall be released in Jubilee. And it goes on. So you see the law of land redemption also at work. Right? There's a third law, which is the law of livery marriage, or the law of marriage between relatives. You see that in Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 and 10. Maya, are you good or should I go, go ahead without you? 25, 5 to 10. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, shall marry her, shall sleep with her, which is what the Igbos do. Yeah? shall go into her to take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Verse 6. Keep going. We're going to verse 10. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother. That's why two guys refused to, to, to impregnate their brother's wife and God killed them. Remember? 
uh, Onan and and his brother. Yeah, that his name, but you can understand the, the struggle. My brother's wife, my brother died. I now go and sleep with my brother's wife. She gets pregnant, and that firstborn is not my son; it's my brother's son. That his name might not be blotted out of Israel. Keep going. We have to be quick with this. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate of the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Keep going. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him, the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot spit in his face and answer and say so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal removed so you see that there are three laws at work here now when you read Ruth's story by itself you don't appreciate these laws are we together now so you see Boaz walking in the full fulfillment of these three laws not cancelling a jot or a tittle of any of them. Are we together? Pay attention to that. Let's look at another point. Three laws of Moses will work here. Ruth was not of their people, right? She was a Moabitess. She was a heathen. She was a Gentile. Let's start to bring this home. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. Ruth was a Moabitess. A Gentile. First Peter 2.10. Why I'm trusting you that you and your computer are helping me tonight to make this quick. Go back to verse 9 for context. But you are a chosen generation now. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him. Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See verse 10. Who, were, who once were not a people. But are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now. So you see Ruth coming into favor and mercy with Boaz. An outsider, a foreigner, who was not a person to be regarded. Somebody else had already said, you know what, I am doing this. So you see that Ruth was a foreigner. Ruth's condition wasn't her own making. Ruth did not choose to be a Moabitess. She did not choose to be a widow. It was circumstantial. Somebody did something. Somebody decided to leave his homeland. And everything happened. Misfortune fell him. And she became a victim of that misfortune. What does that show you? How by one man's sin. I just showed you that in Romans 5. I'll be together. By one man's sin. Sin. Disobedience. Sin comes into the world so you're, you're you were a sinner not of your own making just like ruth her misfortune was not her own making this next one i'll take a few minutes and, and drive it home boaz's offer of barley and water to ruth remember he gave her barley Bali is a staple. This is Ruth chapter 3, verse 15. 
And also he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs, six measures of barley, and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. Before that, remember he had given her water, their first encounter, to drink, right? Barley is the staple grain from which bread is made. Bread was either made of wheat or barley. Boaz, as part of his redemption plan, gives her bread. And he gives her water. Is it beginning to come home? John chapter 6 verse 27. John chapter 6 verse 27. Do not labor for the food. Give me King James, please. King James is closer to the language. Do not work for the meat which perishes, but the meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you. For him had God the Father sealed. 35, same chapter 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 48. 48. I am the bread of life. 51. I'm skipping because of time. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus gives you flesh. You are married to him. Boaz gave root flesh, bread, barley. She ate of the bread Boaz gave and she ended up his wife. She ate into something. John 4, 14. John 4, 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into John 7.37 John 7.37 Some of you might need to listen to this recording over and over again. I'm having to run through it. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So first thing Boaz does is give her water and give her bread. And at that point... They were connected. And there was something that stood in the way of their connection. The law. And they fulfilled the requirements of the law. The law meant the first king's man has to be the one that owns this one. Just like we were slaves under the law. Being kept for the redemption of the king's man. And Jesus coming doesn't just abolish the law and say, I don't care about the law. Jesus fulfills every single requirement of the law and sets it aside. Boaz has betrothed himself to Naomi, but there is a problem. The law. The law of land redemption. The law of liberate marriage. The law of harvesting. There's all these things that that I can't, I, I want to get you, but I can't because... Somebody first me. And in order to get you, we must fulfill and therefore abolish this. So come to the gate. Come to the gate, everybody. Come to the gate. Come to the gate. Come to the gate. Let's do this. Mr. Law, can you afford to do this? 
But we know that no one can be righteous by keeping the law. So the law knows it cannot make you righteous. The law knows it cannot cater for you. The law knows it doesn't have what it takes to supply your needs. The law knows it doesn't have what it takes to make you righteous before God. The law knows it doesn't have what it takes to bring you peace before God. The law knows it doesn't have what it takes to justify you. The law knows, I, I know by law I am here to look after you, but I don't have what it takes to bring you into your expected end. So, uh, um... I can't do this. You want you want it? Take it. We see Boaz's unconditional love. Romans five eight. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. First Corinthians thirteen five. You see that love, first Corinthians thirteen five. It is first Corinthians thirteen five. The fifth verse of the thirteenth chapter of Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, the first one. Do not behave does not behave rudely, does not seek its own as love, is not provoked, thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Boaz had a choice to freak out about seeing a lady at his feet in the morning, at night. And he says, oh no, you know what? Leave early before anybody sees you. Love covers wrong. Love covers. Love bears no record of wrong. It covers. So he says, leave in the morning. Don't let anybody see you. I'm not going to tell anybody that you came here at night. I'm not going to tell anybody that you were caught in a compromising position. Because that would jeopardize the integrity of the woman as a bride. So Boaz sends her early before it was light. Paid the price quickly, swiftly, covered her sin. How would you react if you heard that the person you, that this person is married to, you know, the lady went at night to go and seduce him? As a pastor, you don't even marry them. But not Boaz. Which is the same thing you see typified in Joseph and Mary. Joseph was going to put Mary away how? Quietly to protect her because he loved her in spite of her. Joseph was convinced that Mary was guilty of adultery. And even at that, he was willing to cover her sin and let her go quietly. That's why I've always said if you ever really loved, you could never truly hate. It's not, it's not, they are mutually exclusive. If you ever really loved, you can never truly hate. You can, you can never successfully convert your love to hate. It's not possible. If you could convert it to hate, it was lost all along. An unhealthy obsession and infatuation, it was not love. And even if somebody broke your heart and you move on to someone else, love is not transferable. You don't take the love of your ex and love your, your current. You, you love this person for them. Like you love that person for them, even if they were foolhardy and didn't deserve it. You don't, you don't, if you ever truly loved, you can't, you can't hate. So Joseph was going to cover her because love bears no record of wrong. He was going to cover for her. Let's finish this. You see Boaz's readiness to step in to redeem her. He wasn't hesitant about it. Colossians 1.8. Let's do Colossians 2.13. 
Colossians 2.13. And you've been dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive with him. How? Having forgiven you all trespasses. Can somebody say all? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. I'm just dropping stuff that you can go and study on your own and see. Ephesians 2 1. And you he made alive who were what? In trespasses and sins. See verse chapter 4, verse 5. Well, the same, same chapter 2, verse 4. Yeah. 2 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, go on. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved. He covered her shame. Psalm 32 verse 2. Oh, I love this one. Boaz covered the shame. Just like Christ took away our shame. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Whose spirit there is no deceit. David was prophesying before the cross. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord does not impute against him. 2 Corinthians 5.19. You all know that scripture by now. 2 Corinthians 5.19. You see an echo of what David said there. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world. So you see why David himself was a type of Christ. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute trespasses. In an era of the law, somebody found grace and rejected the law. Totally. Stripped himself of the law and found grace. So we see that at play in the story of Boaz and Ruth. Romans chapter 8 verse 3 and 4. Let's see about the Kingsman Redeemer. Romans chapter 8 verse 3 and 4. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Keep going. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Go back to verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was what? Go back to the story of Noah, of Boaz and Ruth. King's my redeemer. Come and redeem me. This is what you ought to do. And law says, I, I can't do it. I, I don't have the capacity to do this. I am too weak to do this. I don't have the wherewithal. I can't pay for this. So I pass. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Christ did. So you see types of, and shadows of Christ all through the story. Two more and we go. The king's man. I love this one. The king's man. And let's, let's do one more. Let's do Colossians 2.14. 2, Colossians 2.14. I, I like the fact that some of you are writing. Colossians 2.14. Having wiped, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. So there's something stood between Ruth and Boaz that had to be taken away. And it was wiped out. Jesus comes and he takes away the requirements against us that hindered us from having reconciliation with the Father. Are you seeing that? And he takes it away. I like this one. The king's redeemer must be a blood relative. Remember I said that as one of the requirements. And here is 
Adam having messed all of us up and somebody has to redeem us. But the person that will redeem us has to be a relative of us. So now we have a problem. How are we going to be redeemed from the law if we don't have a relative who is capable of redeeming us? Uh, do you understand what's going on here? How? Because the person that must redeem you must be related to you. Now you are already dead in sin and trespasses and the law has hold sway over you. How is somebody related to you going to have the capacity to redeem you? God sends a person but he sends the person in a way that looks like you. Galatians 4.4 Galatians 4 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those. John 1 14. It's coming together, right? John 1 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father. Full of grace and truth. Thank you James. Romans 8 and verse 3. For what the law could not do. In that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness. How did he come? In the likeness of instantly we became human blood relations his divinity his god he's untouched by sin he's untainted by sin he didn't sin but he came as a human being instantly we became related but he was a different species of human being so he was qualified capable and willing to redeem us because you see an, an outsider could not have been able to redeem us a god could not have been able to redeem us. It had to be a human like us. A relative. Someone in, who, in whose natural veins, natural blood flows. Do you understand? And someday, oh man. Someday I will explain to you how it's not the physical blood of Jesus that paid the price for your sin. Yeah? Because the physical blood poured on the ground. Jesus didn't scoop the physical blood and take it to the throne of grace. He poured until there was water gushing. On the ground, the Roman centurion stood afar of watching. Mary stood afar of watching. John the beloved stood afar of watching. The blood all poured out. They brought him from the cross and buried him. They didn't pack the blood from the ground and gave him in the tomb. When you wake up, carry the blood to the father. When he appeared before Mary, when he was going to touch him, my Lord, he said, don't touch me. I have not ascended to the father. Where was the blood? So it wasn't physical blood. <laughs> there was no physical blood poured on any seat. Oh, there was physical blood shed. But it wasn't as though God is some bloodthirsty being that you now bring six gallons of blood on the mercy seat. I paid for it. I'll teach about it, not today. The point is, he came as your cousin. 
the regular guy down the road. And do you have what it takes, the righteousness required to buy these people? Yes. Are you willing to take on these people? Yes. In sickness for their health? Yes. In poverty for their riches? Yes. In, 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 in thin for their thick? Yes. In, in, in righteousness for their sickness? Yes. Are you willing to do it? Well, I, the cup should pass by me, but not my will, but thine be done. Yes. So I am willing. And it's done. And the price is paid. Because he's your relative. And he has what it takes. To pay the price. The moment he showed up. The law checked him out. The law inspected him. The law looked at him. And the law saw that he had fulfilled every jot. And every tittle. And therefore the law could not stop him from marrying his bride. Now therefore are we the sons of God. That is the redemption story. It's such a beautiful story. The gospel is good news. It does not have a bad side. It does not have a bad side. Two more points and I'm done. Did you get this blood relative bit? He then strikes the bargain on their behalf. Boaz negotiates everything. Yeah. You, don't, you don't hear that Ruth said Pem yeah. at the gate. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Talk to me somebody. Ruth w- had nothing to do yes. with her redemption. Yes. All she did was believe that the redeemer could redeem her. Yes. Spread your cloth over me. Be, marry me. I believe that you can. John 6. This is the work of my father. That you believe on him that he sent. The only work God calls you to do. Is to believe. That's all. Not to participate in your redemption. You cannot. If I ask gift now. How, what what did God's diva play in coming? No. Father scored. Mother received the goal. Mother kept the goal. Grew it. First trimester, second trimester. Father was providing for mother all through. Making sure that she was not being unduly stressed. Taking her for all her antenatal, you know, uh, tests and everything. Making sure that she could stretch her belly when she could stretch it. And every now and then mother will hear baby kick you know and she's like oh yeah this baby is kicking sounds like a girl sounds like a boy and she's incubating and incubating and incubating and when it's time for baby to turn baby turns and when it's time for baby to come baby didn't push mother pushed mother pushed baby played no role no role baby showed up and as much as was within the power of the parents they had prepared a place for baby if you are the kind of parent that some of us are, you'd have preempted the kind of materials that are neutral. It's, you know, before the baby comes, I want to know is male or female. There are stuff that whether male or female, baby can wear. And you get some of those things ready. You get color neutral stuff. And, and you're excited. Baby plays no role. 
As a believer, what role did you play? All Ruth did was believe. The negotiation, the exchange, the transaction had nothing to do with Ruth. She did not pay collateral. She didn't sign any document. She wasn't even the one that collected the sandal. She, she was just there and at the end of the day they told her, listen, we have finished all the transaction. Now you are my wife. I redeemed you. I have redeemed you. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 to 25. Romans 3, 23 to 25. Romans 3, 23 to 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption. Do you see that? The buying back of the prized possession that is in Christ Jesus. Keep going. Whom God set forth as propitiation. Propitiation means penalty. So if the, if the sinful act needed punishing, God heaped it all on Christ. Christ didn't just pay for you to bring, bring you back into where you lost. He also took the penalty for your sin. That's propitiation. Propitiation means penalty. You are guilty of something. You have to die. I'm not changing my mind about it. Oh, really? Somebody has to die. Mankind has to die, right? Yes, all of mankind has to die. Well, I come now and in me is all of mankind. I die, all of mankind dies. I resurrect all of mankind. Resurrect. I come into eternal life. All of mankind comes into eternal life. Job done. That's what Paul means when he said that you died with him. You, You didn't physically die. But when this Adam died, everybody plugged to him died. Everybody plugged to him died. Galatians 2.20, you are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live. Now the life you now live, the life you now live, the life you now live, you didn't live that life before. The life you now live in the flesh. You live by faith in the son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. You had no part to play in your redemption story. Had no part to play. And it's there in Ruth. Ruth had no part to play. She was a spectator. Eh? The law and grace are fighting for me. Wow. Was the Ruth, the, Ruth was not even a Jew. She was not a virgin. Do you know what that means in Jewish culture? She was not a Jew and she was not a virgin. If you are a Jew, good enough. But if you are a Jew and you are not a virgin and they find that they stone you to death. So she was not a Jew. She was not a virgin. She was a Gentile used goods. And the Redeemer said, I like it like that. It's, it's a mess, right? It's my mess. I fix it. The law said, I can't do it. I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't jeopardize what I have going for me with this. So, so, so you want to take it? Nah, it's fine, take it. Take it. Take it. Somebody says, oh, well, I can't marry you. You've, you've had 19 abortions. Let him go. He's not your kingsman redeemer. Oh, I can't be with you, sir. I, I hear that you had 25 different girls when you were in the other life. I can't trust you. Let them go. Because he said, yeah, it's good, I got you. 
I'll take you, I'll clean you up. I'll fix you. He didn't say to Ruth, go and sort yourself out. Go and clean up. He said, I got you. I love you. I've shown you loving kindness. You found favor in my sight. I, I paid the price for you. You become mine. I take you under my wing. I become responsible for you. And lastly, Boaz took therefore everything that was consequential upon redeeming the land. He redeemed the land. He got Ruth. He got Naomi. He got the lands. He produced a son. He gives her a son. Instantly, their union produced a son. Now therefore are we sons of God. Isaiah 53 verse 4 to 6. I'm done. In good time too. Isaiah 53 4 to 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and his stripes we are healed. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Watch this next line. And the Lord has laid on him. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when that iniquity was heaped on him and God killed him, God killed every iniquity of us all. Can you say of us all? <laughs> Ephesians 1.14 Ephesians 1.14 Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He purchased everything that came with us. He purchased your sickness and fixed it. Now you're healed. He purchased your poverty and fixed it. Now you're rich. Purchased your sickness and your sin and fixed it. Now you're righteous. Purchased your verdict. Guilty as charged. He took it. Became your propitiation. They called up your case. And they said no. Justified. Discharged and acquitted. And I've taught you in this house that justified is just as if I had never sinned. Just as if I had never had an abortion. Just as if I had never had an addiction. Just as if I had never been on the wrong side of God. Just as if I had never been falling short of his glory. Just as if I had. I'm justified. They called you up to punish you. Brought up the case file. Opened it and the screen was blank. Because the blood washed it. The blood washed it. Christ was the purchaser. Christ was the redeemer. Christ was the price he paid. Christ was the person he paid the price to. You see, he didn't pay the price for sin to the devil. It's an insult to think that Christ went to pay Satan. No, he had paid and then went and opened the key, the door and let everybody out. 
he was the redeemer he was the purchase he was the price he was the priest who superintended the sacrifice and he was the king that the sacrifice was paid to all at the same time he was the redeemer he was the purchaser he was the price he was the high priest he was the person he paid it to I started by telling you four components of Hebrew redemption. I'm ending there. I started by telling you that one, it must be blood relative. Two, the person must be capable. Three, the person must be willing. And four, the person must complete the transaction. You see that Jesus, because he was born a human being, became a blood relative. Because of his sinless state, he was rich in righteousness and therefore capable of purchasing and redeeming the penalty for the sins of man. Because of his obedience, he became willing to be the redeemer. Romans 5. And therefore, we all are plugged into that obedience. Because of his crucifixion, Jesus completed the atonement and provided the means for the salvation of the believer. It is therefore called a finished work. Now I'm going to say something. I, I wrote something here. My redemption creed. If you don't mind and you want to repeat it with me. Because you think it is your reality as well. You can do that with me. Can we do this together? Because of Christ. I have been redeemed. The price for my sins. My shortcomings, my sickness, my damnation, my severance from God, all through the first Adam, is now paid in full. Christ purchased my freedom in totality from the kingdom of darkness, from the stronghold of principalities and powers, and rulers of darkness of this age. In total obedience to God, he fulfilled the law and set me free from its requirements. Having blotted out the handwriting of the legal code that was contrary to me, Christ was the perfect sacrifice, the full payment for all of my sins and for all the sins of the whole world. Now I am reconciled to God. Never to be separated from him and his love. By anything. By anyone. At any time. Come what may. I am free from condemnation. I am free from guilt and fear. My eternal life is secure in him. His redemption has brought me into his rest. I rest from dead works. I rest from religion. I rest from the traditions of men. I rest from human philosophies. I rest from the law. For Christ is the end of the law. The price for my sonship is paid in full. I am a true, full, bona fide son of God. I am holy. I am righteous. I am justified. I am perfected. 
redeemed. I am redeemed. I am redeemed. Come on, give him praise in here tonight. Believe that. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.